Here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 123, entitled Exodus Part 1. First though, something new, The Countdown. This is the 23rd episode of Lost, and there are 98 to go. I also wanted to mention a new uh, website that might be of interest to some listeners. It's called geekversusgeek.com. It was set up by a couple of friends of mine who uh, will be posting a uh, a particularly geeky topic every couple of days and uh, people on the site are uh, invited to share their thoughts to battle it out blog style and uh, you can visit geekversusgeek.com to just uh, read the various uh, the various answers to the uh, latest topic or to uh, get information to jump into the fray yourself so uh, it might not be for everybody who's listening but certainly uh, I welcome anybody who is interested to check out geekversusgeek.com. With that, let's get into the Wikipedia summary for the episode, read by a listener. My name is Daniela from the Netherlands, and I am here to read to you the Exodus Part 1 summary from Wikipedia. In flashbacks, several of the survivors are shown in the final hours before the flight. Early that morning, Walt wakes up and turns on the TV. When an awakened Michael Dawson, Harold Perry Moe, asks him to turn it off, Walt throws a tantrum and flees out the room with his dog Vincent. In the airbound lounge, Jack converses with another passenger on his flight, Anna Lucia. Sawyer is told he is being placed on flight 815 because he is being deported by the Australian government after assaulting a government minister in a bar fight. Kate is handcuffed to the marshal. During a conversation with the customs officer, the marshal reveals that he baited Kate with Tom Brennan's toy airplane. When he denigrates Tom's memory, Kate attacks him, but is subdued. At the check-in, Shannon waits for Boone to get them a first-class upgrade. Meanwhile, Sayid asks uh, Shannon to watch his back. She disinterestedly agrees, but when Boone returns without an upgrade, she carelessly leaves the bag. As Boone chastises her, she walks up to a police officer, telling them that an Arab guy left his bag unattended. Sun and Jin are eating in the airport cafe. Sun overhears comments from an American couple regarding her apparent submissiveness to Jin, and is forced to pretend that she doesn't understand their conversation. So that's what happened uh, off the island. So now it's time to go on the island. Early in the morning, Daniel Rousseau arrives 
at the beach to warn the survivors that the others are coming and tells them more of her own story. She was pregnant when she came to the island 16 years ago, but the others who arrived shortly after a column of black smoke was seen came and kidnapped her baby. Danielle has not seen her baby since. As the group resumes work on the raft, Walt notices a black column of black smoke in the distance. The survivors then tell Rousseau about the hatch and their need to open it. Rousseau offers them to take them to the Black Rock, where she says they can find dynamite. Jack runs into a sawyer in the jungle and hands him a pistol with ammo, just in case. They share an awkward distant goodbye. As Jack leaves him, Sawyer stops him and tells him when he met a man named Christian in a bar in Sydney. He tells Jack what Christian said about his son and Jack is visibly moved. Jack moves off into the jungle. As Jack, Kate, Locke, Hurley and Dr. Leslie Arts head toward the Black Rock, Arts is chased by the monster, which Rousseau says is a security system protecting the island. As the raft prepares for launch, Said gives the team a radar emitter and flare gun, while Charlie gathers messages from the remaining castaways to put them in a bottle. Walt leaves Vincent to Shannon. Sun says goodbye to Jin, handing him, handing him a notebook of phonetically written English terms to help him communicate with the others. This encourages him to speak to her and they reconcile. He says that he will still go, but because he wants to rescue her from the island. After all the goodbyes, the ref team sets off while in the distance, column of black smoke continues to rise. All right. Thank you very, very much, Danielle, for sending that in. Uh, it's uh, just such a wonderful, uh, I don't know, it's just wonderful to know that there's people in other countries listening to my, uh, my little podcast. Um, and, uh, well, thank you very much, Danielle, for sending that in, particularly as somebody who, uh, uh, for whom English is not their first language. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, with that, let's get into my thoughts about the episode. Uh, it's a sharp opening to the episode. There's a tight close-up on the oceanic tickets, then a cut to a wide shot of the opening window showing Sydney. Seeing Walt and Michael fighting in the flashback also is a nice touch, um, if only for the contrast of the fact that they get along so much better now uh, on the island. Indeed, on the island, we see Walt peeping at Danielle, who uh, arrives at camp, uh, in what is initially a very creepy scene. Uh, the camera shots are edited together in just this wonderfully wise way to remind us that she has a gun and ammo. Uh, there are quick little shots to remind us that she's equal part saint and sinner. Um, you know, she'll be walking along. There's a wide shot. There's a close up, and there'll be just a quick little moment of you know an ammo clip or, or this sort of thing. It's just really, really nice. Um, once you know, so she arrives there, and there's initially some panic. Once Jack takes over things, which of course he's always one to do. Um, the episode really zips along. The whole crew is working together to get the, the raft launched. Uh, and of course, Giacchino's music rises and rises with this sense of hope. Uh, and then 
there's kind of a, a very wise decision just to cut all the music for the actual moment of that initial uh, launch. Um, of course, the launch fails. We're only five or eight uh, minutes into the episode. So, of course, why waste such a thing so early in the episode? Um, but I had to admit that I was fooled. I hadn't remembered when in the episode the launch occurred. Um, and I thought that indeed it was early on in the episode. Um, it's just, uh, you know, it's, it certainly is an effective moment and it speaks to that upcoming, um, that upcoming launch at the end of the episode. That's just so wonderful. Uh, then of course, uh, the, the on Island, you know, well, let me back up first and say, so there's this attempt to, to uh, launch the raft, of course. Uh, you know, it gets off its track or, or this sort of thing. There's a bit of bickering between the parties. And then the, the island weirdness continues. You couldn't keep the raft going straight. I couldn't keep the boat going straight. Everybody yeah. keeps What? So the camera cranes up, showing what is presumably the 40 survivors. Uh, then a cut to the mysterious black smoke rising up. Uh, it's an effectively creepy scene. Um, we certainly don't know who or what is causing that smoke. Uh, it should be noted, of course, that this isn't the black smoke of smoke monster fame, um, but just rather, uh, you know, some, some sort of, you know, at this point for first time viewers, we're seeing it as um, uh, something looks like campfire smoke or burning smoke, not kind of monster smoke. Although I don't think that we've seen, um, I don't think that we've seen monster the monster smoke yet at this point i think that's first reserved as i call i think recall i think that's first reserved for exodus part two which will be next week's podcast of course um moving on for a show that is classically known for its extremely slow pace you know it was almost difficult to keep up with the plot points even through the the first 10 minutes um i'm assuming too that they skipped a commercial break between the teaser act and act one given that it would be pretty annoying um, to have had 10 minutes of show interrupted by two four-minute blocks up to this point. But at any rate, Danielle gives us uh, exposition that says there are explosives at the Black Rock in the Dark Territory. Uh, Hurley, once again, speaking for the audience, grimly notes that these are <laughs> that those are the three reasons for going, right? He's kind of listening, saying, oh, yeah, that's three great reasons to go somewhere. Explosives at the Black Rock in the Dark Territory. Um Anyhow, it, it's just, it, this episode moves tremendously fast. Um, then indeed it does take its first, what I think is its first proper break. And then after the commercial break, proof that the show has a plan and the introduction of one of my favorite characters. I didn't think you were listening. So what's your name? Ana Lucia. So tell me, Ana Lucia. Why are you drinking tequila and tonics at 10 to noon? I hate flying. And they stuck me all the way in the back of the plane where the wheels come down right under your damn feet. So where are you sitting? 23B. 42F. Want to trade? <laughs> I love the character of Anna Lucia. Anna Lucia, it's great to see you showing up in this episode. I love you. Um, and gasp, they put you in the back of the plane. Uh, you know, it's, it's all this kind of seating for, for season two um, and all kind of under the guise of talking about the dead dad. And, you know, it appears to be, especially for, you know, well, let me finish the first thought. It appears to be about Jack and his mourning 
and uh, reminder that the father is dead and all of this. It's meant to you know pick up where we last saw him chronologically, which was at the ticket table, you know, saying you know there's a limo waiting for my father, there's a hearse waiting for my father when we land in 18 hours and all that. You know, it, 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 it's under the guise of being a Jack moment when actually it's um, it's a preview of Anna Lucia. And just, uh, it was fantastic to see her, and I can't wait for her to show up in season two. Um, moving on, one of the wonderful things about this episode is that we get multiple flashbacks, uh, which is to say flashbacks from multiple points of view. Um, there's no need in this episode to have Jack whining and moaning about whether he loves his bride-to-be and you know this sort of thing. It's just you have a one-scene flashback for for a character, perhaps two scenes if memory serves correct. But you know you're you're really zipping around, um, and it gives a wonderfully knit together sense in the uh, for the episode. Add to that the Sawyer flashback, which is pedestrian enough. You know, it's him. Uh, uh, you know, kind of you know, in the police station and being told he's getting kicked out of the country. But it hooks together us having seen Sawyer in Boone's flashback many episodes ago. And then this, the Sawyer's flashback in this episode then puts him on the plane. He's being deported on this particular flight tomorrow. Um, it's also a counterpoint to the previous scene. Michael doesn't want his help despite Sawyer being invested in the community. Uh, you know, so we see Sawyer's now involved on island, and we see a flashback where he's, you know, being reminded by the Australian police that he's uh, kind of on the edges of uh, society. Um, of course, in the flashback, Sawyer's crimes as a, a bottom feeder are all rehashed. Um, and for those who are interested, um, after the flashback, you see Beefcake Sawyer flexing his shining muscles as he chops down bamboo. Um, not my particular cup of tea but i suppose it makes up for all those longing loving shots of shannon in a bikini kate bathing sun topless etc so fair is fair i imagine um anyway we see that sawyer not only has a body but uh, that he also has a brain i've been on some benders in my time but this guy is going for an all-time record it turns out this guy has a son son's a doctor too They'd had some kind of big time falling out. The guy knew it was his fault. You know, his son was back in the States thinking the same damn thing. See, kids are like dogs. You knock them around enough. They'll think they did something to deserve it. Anyway. There's a payphone in this bar. And this guy, Christian. Tells me he wishes he had the stones to pick up the phone and call his kid. Telling me he's sorry. He's a better doctor than he'll ever be. I love that what is essentially a, a, a rehash uh, story, I love that it stopped just enough to have the line, kids are like dogs, knock them around enough and they'll think they did something wrong. Not only does it kind of break up, you know, some information that we know already that shows that uh, Sawyer is sharing his his own pain to Jack. It's kind of a very, um, uh, you know, in that metaphor of, you know, kids and dogs, it actually is uh, Sh- Sawyer, uh, you know, sharing himself uh, and part of himself with Jack. Um, also, it's a credit to the show that Jack doesn't have 
the meltdown not you know not that jack really would ever have one but you know there's an opportunity for jack to be all blubbering and, and in tears but anyhow it's a credit to the show that so the that jack doesn't have a meltdown upon hearing all of this and it's also good blocking which is to say you know how the how the actors uh are told to move through the scene it's good blocking to have jack turn his face away from sawyer at the most tender moments um, I think it's accurate to the character. It's accurate to the relationship that the both characters have, and uh, just a, just a well done scene. the The flashbacks continue this time with Kate. Once again, uh, we get very little to be sympathetic about her in her flashbacks, which kind of is one of the the theories I'm, I suppose I'm developing long term for for the podcast here is that you know these Kate flashbacks work against us. <sighs> understanding her which might sound strange because of course we get more information about her but you know it's like sawyer as the rough and tumble guy and when you start to understand all the pain he's gone through in life and the misguided path that he was put on uh you know when his father killed his mother then then committed suicide you know you then start to say okay well then the guy who then shows up in sydney sawyer to kill frank duckett uh, you know, I get that. I don't condone it, but I I understand it. I'm sympathetic towards it. I understand how a nine-year-old kid, seeing both of his parents die in that manner, you fast forward 25 or 30 years, is that guy then going to go kill the person responsible for that? Or, or you know, which is what he he thinks Frank Duckett is. Um, you know, can you can you get behind that? Yeah, you can understand that. These Kate flashbacks don't work this way. We're reminded of her crimes, just as we were with Sawyer in a previous flashback in this episode. But she comes off just as kind of slimy. Uh, and then there's also the return of the toy plane. Why do you need five guns? That's a good story. You want to tell it? Okay. This belonged to her childhood sweetheart. She got killed a couple of years ago. You know what? Stop, stop, stop. It actually isn't that interesting. That's, uh, you know, I know that they've just gone and rehashed Sawyer in uh, in Sydney with Christian Shepard and that, while not feeling new, at least there's some sort of resonance in hearing hearing that tale again. You know, I, I've complained for two Kate flashbacks about this stupid toy plane and how emotionally uninteresting I find it. And uh, if you feel differently, apologies. Um, it's just like, again, with this stinking plane, I mean, yes, there's some kind of neat little, uh, uh, you know, kind of follow the props as we see the plane in the, uh, you know, in the briefcase with the guns, which we're then going to see later chronologically and early from an earlier episode when it gets opened up and there's all this business with the plane, but it's just like, I can't believe they go back to this stinking well again about the stupid toy plane. Um, you know, it, it Ironically, though, let's move on a tad. Ironically, though, the Kate flashback, um, although it is mostly rehash, it is sharply delivered by the Marshal, who's a great actor, and I'd say it ends well enough, especially for the, the pain it caused me for hearing about the stupid toy playing again. What's his name? God, Kate, come on. What was his name? Oh, you ugly son of a bitch! that is why I need five guns. (laughs) 
So if the sounds didn't tell you enough, uh, you know, the marshal's kind of goading her and goading her about the plane. What was the guy's name? What was the guy's name with that? Kate snaps and pushes him against the glass window. You kind of see the, the airport security cop guy, you know, kind of looking to react. But the marshal just turns around, backhands her, knocks her down to the floor. Uh, I think at that point the plane then drops and she reaches for it and he kind of taps it away with his foot out of her out of her grasp. So... I don't know if Kate getting a hit to the mouth over the stupid toy plane uh, is the effect of uh, us hearing more about it than, oh, well, oh, well. Um, moving on, back on island, uh, we then start to head to uh, kind of the, the splitting of the fellowship, sort of, so to speak. Jack and company are heading out for the dynamite, saying goodbye to the raft team. Uh, it's standard enough, but it's effective um it's just you know it's characters that you care about it it definitely is a crossroads as i think i may have said before or uh, or if not i'll say it again for the proper raft launching but you know it's a bit of a fake out you really do you know the show is committing to this notion that the raft is taking off and that there's you know you're kind of saying well how are they going to do a show with people out on the raft or you know if the raft gets found that's interesting but uh you know how's the show going to continue if the raft doesn't get found and they all die well that's not i don't particularly want to see that either um so you're kind of you know you're not quite sure where this raft business is headed but they make you commit to the idea that the raft is headed out and it's this big turning point as opposed to i mean it's not a huge turning point i mean yes you get to meet the others yes walt is taken and there's kind of increased meshing of the the others and the 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 losties but I don't know. On the one hand, the show is it's a bit of a fake out. However, it is effective. When you're in the moment, it is effective. Um, and as the dynamite crew is heading out, I love that Michael says goodbye to Jack. Jack says, I'll see you soon. Irony, irony. It's sooner than you think, Michael, because you're not going that far. Um, the uh, As we stick with the, the dynamite bunch, the journey to the dynamite, it's filled with lovely little, little moments. Um, lock eyes scratches on Danielle's arm, which she attributes to a bush. Uh, I'm sure that we're meant to uh, have some sort of resonance to the fact that the last time we saw four parallel scratches like that was on Ethan's face. Uh, a lovely little hint that things are not all right with Danielle. Uh, and of course, we'll you know we'll learn later that Danielle uh, played a role in um, in uh, uh, Claire escaping from uh, Ethan's clutches and all that. Um, also on this dynamite journey, there's just a lovely little bit of character shading for Dr. Leslie Arzt. Let me ask you something, Arzt. 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 No, not Arzt. Arzt. A-R-Z-T. Arzt. Sorry, man. Name's hard to pronounce. Oh, yeah, well, I know a bunch of ninth graders who pronounce it just fine. How about I just call you by your first name? How about you don't? Why not? I remember it from the Plains Manifest. I think Leslie's a bitchin' name. Arts is fine. <laughs> I think Leslie's a bitchin' name. That's quite a line, quite a line. Not the best arts line, as we will learn in next week's episode, but uh, quite a line nonetheless. I like, too, that you know they're taking, they're taking the time to do this character shading, uh, probably because he's, he is going to be killed off, and we are heading towards you know, the lament of the red shirts, which we'll, we'll get to next week. Um, but 
it's not just you know it's not just any little character that they're going to kill off with the dynamite in the next episode they're really giving him some stuff which is why this is a character that resonates so greatly despite the fact that he's in uh i mean you know he has some degree of importance in four episodes uh there's last week's episode there's this exodus part one dies in exodus part two there's the um there's the uh flashback episode that he appears in why can't I? nikki and paolo um, which is just kind of, I think it's just there kind of for the cuteness of it. It's not, you know, I mean, I know he's researching the spiders and whatnot, but obviously, you know, Nikki and Paolo are, uh, that's an experiment gone wrong. But um, I think, per, I mean, I don't know, perhaps he shows up, uh, I, I know I asked this last time, but uh, I don't know if he shows up on the, uh, I don't know if he's in the plane at the beginning of season six or, or when the plane lands in the flash sideways in season six. I know he's not in the church, certainly, but anyhow, he's, you know, he's, it's a character with very little screen time, but somebody who kind of remains beloved. Uh, moving on, there's also a Star Wars reference. Uh, when Michael says to Jin that this one goes here and that one goes there, uh, they have directly lifted the same dialogue from Empire Strikes Back. Uh, where it's delivered by Han Solo to the similarly non-English speaking Chewbacca. So nice reference there, guys. Um, And as they go to commercial, and of course it's lost, so there's going to be the requisite hook right before commercial break, there's just a wonderful moment of sound design. So listen carefully. Did you hear that? Now there, the screen goes dark and it's just this echo. The monster is back. It's really, really well done. They kind of hold that, you know, when you're watching it, and the clip probably didn't capture it perfectly, but when you're watching it, there's just that, you know, you go to black and there's just the echo. And it just kind of holds for longer, you know, a, a beat longer, a beat or two longer than is is kind of traditional for TV. And it's just, you're just sitting there going, oh my goodness, this is you know quite the episode. Um ironically the scare lasts just long enough to go to commercial and then come back uh you know Locke makes reference to the monster going the other way uh although danielle does offer this little gem we're safe now what was that thing it's a security system security system what does that mean its purpose is that of any security systems to protect something protect what the island looking back it's kind of amazing that we all put so much stock in this notion of the protective security system uh i mean particularly given that danielle is clearly half bonkers um and i mean certainly she's not painted as you know the nutball but you know i mean clearly she has a take that isn't always um you know, it, it's based on her certain perspective, and part of that perspective is all the stress and trauma that she's been through. But, um, you know, kind of, I feel like within the lost kind of community, the idea of the security system, that really hung on for a while. Um, meanwhile, she's an unreliable person to be claiming such a thing. And indeed, you know, it's not a security system. It's not keeping the island safe. I mean, I guess it's, I mean, to a certain degree, it's keeping the island safe of, 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 
certain types of people uh, or safe from, well, I mean, look, it's not like the smoke monster sat down and said, look, the pilot clearly is a bad guy. He has hate in his heart. You know, it's just kind of, you know, he's he's keeping the, the people he thinks he can manipulate and killing everyone else. That's not much of a protection of the island. Um, anyhow, moving on. In in past episodes, we've talked about underused or, or misused actors, particularly insofar that Maggie Grace has broader acting skills than her Shannon is usually asked to have. Uh, this episode puts her with Walt, and the combination is just absolutely wonderful. What makes you think I need a dog to take care of me? Vincent took care of me when my mom died. And nobody would talk to me. They pretend like nothing happened. So I talked to Vincent. He's a good listener. You could talk to him about Bowen if you want. But only until you get us rescued, okay? I mean, how do you not get choked up when it's about a boy and his dog there? And also the fact that he's, you know, relating uh, his perspective and his experience on the death of his mother, no less, to uh, somebody that he doesn't know that very well, Shannon, but you know, relating his uh, mourning, his sense of mourning, which let's not forget, he's not that far past. Um, was it a, a week before the crash or so? That week, ten days that uh, his mother Susan died, um, and here we're at day forty or so. So you know, it's not it's not an old wound, although certainly it's a healing wound. Um, and he's taking all of that, he's relating it to Shannon. He's saying, "What got through? What, what uh, got me through this? Well, it wasn't any." human being because everybody turned their back on me uh it was this dog who i could just sit and talk to and you know maybe you need that dog too you know it's not that he's giving you know it's just this beautiful notion he's not giving uh shannon the dog you know he's not giving shannon the dog he's giving the dog shannon you know he's saying you know hey you helped me so much let me give you the next human um for you to watch uh vincent it's just it's it's really nice it's nice um anyhow that scene then links into a shannon flashback which is largely useless it's her being self-centered in the in the airport it's dismissive of saeed um i suppose perhaps it's meant to show some kind of growth in her maybe i'm being a little uh, a little harsh here but certainly from that flashback scene the one bonus that we see is boone i'm i'm sure that ian Ian Summerhalder was undoubtedly contractually required to appear in this episode if the producer so chose. I mean, he was still being credited for the show. He was still being paid for the show. He was still under contract. But he just comes across as a good sport nonetheless. Um, I mean, each reappearance of Boone brings a smile to the face of a lost fan, I think. Um, and and sometimes they're just so out of the blue, but they're, they're dramatically appropriate. And it's just, uh, you know... He's a good sport. He really is. Um, moving on. Uh, seeing the black rock to be revealed, that's just simply amazing. Everyone looks up behind, uh, looks up and to behind uh, a spot behind the camera. 
we can already at that point assume that it isn't some volcanic boulder. Uh, then the camera turns, and then there's a freaking sailing ship in the jungle. It's just one of the ultimate WTF moments in the entire series. You're sitting here saying, how could a boat get that far in the jungle? You see that it's covered in vines and on its side, and it's just its completely inexplicable until, uh, of course, it is explained, what, 93, 92 episodes later? So, <laughs> so much for quick answers, but it's just a great, great moment. Um Seeing the sun flashback as we, of course, move throughout the episode uh, where she's subservient uh, to powder keg gin while the two Americans comment openly about how awful her life must be and that she clearly doesn't speak English. So seeing all that, I wonder how much uh, this episode was possibly meant to be a late season pilot, uh, which is to say, you know, it's, it's working so hard to be an introduction to new audience members perhaps that you know that the show was building um because there's i mean at no point in this episode did i personally feel they're kind of wasting my time here with a lot of rehash but it's a lot of rehash uh you know i mean clearly exodus part two is um you know that's a two hour two hour episode i know there have been times where they end up with so much footage that they then turn it into an extra episode perhaps that was the case that they needed these flashbacks in order to, you know, they wanted two, they wanted two episodes. They hadn't two and a half. They had two and three quarters, and these flashbacks kind of padded out. But it doesn't feel like padding. So I'm just giving them the credit that, uh, you know, perhaps this was all intentional, and that uh, some of this recap that's going on is just meant to uh, to welcome in new audience members. Um, and I'll mention as a side note, Jin's flashback hair was really 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 being held back by a ton of gel given that it's now longer in real life you know at this point uh, in filming uh, the show than it was at the start of the show um anyhow moving on i mentioned in a previous podcast how Jin has three chances to leave sun while in the water the raft is one the freighter is another and the sub is the final one Seeing their goodbye in this episode is almost as heartfelt, as wonderful as when they say goodbye together. Goodbye for not leaving each other uh, on that sub at the end of season six. Uh, that, you know, the in this episode, the scene of them saying goodbye, that's the show in a nutshell. It's not monsters and Dharma and alternate reality games and Easter eggs. It's people connecting. And it's just, it's, I mean, it's a wonderful, wonderful scene. Some might argue it goes on a tad too long. To me, it's just, it's not even letting two actors let it play. It's two fully realized characters genuinely sharing a real moment. And it's just, it's it's a marvelous, marvelous uh, little coda to their relationship for season one. Because, of course, they don't see each other uh, for the rest of the season. Which is to say two episodes, you know, or one double-length episode. But anyhow... Um, at that point, we then move to the raft montage. Part of me would like to complain that this whole raft business is a fake out because the raft ultimately doesn't work, but the little moments are just too effective to keep me in the moment of the episode. Everyone has someone to kiss and hug and say goodbye to, uh, except of course Sawyer, who looks for Kate. Uh, it's also one of the moments of pure joy in the show. 
uh, at least until Vincent breaks free and the boy must look ahead to manhood and say goodbye to his dog. Um, the shot of that damn dog listening and knowing to go back, I mean, how does that not just bring tears to your eyes? Uh, it's a wise choice to sour up the sweetness in order for us to appreciate it all, especially after that sail goes up. There's that wide, long helicopter shot of the raft reminding us that there's always hope in these dark circumstances. Insofar that the show is related on some level to 9-11, with the chaos of the crash of that first episode and Shannon standing there screaming as a reminder of how we all felt, the raft launching is just about hope and life and future, and it's just wonderful. And wisely they just let that moment hang. They just let it fade out. That makes the final scene feel just kind of like an epilogue, not part of the episode. The black smoke is rising. Trouble is coming. Uh, the season ends next week, says the episode, and then the episode itself ends. Um, it's just a, it's a solid episode. It's really a wonderful episode. Um, it's, it's well done. It's effective. I mean, that, that, that raft ending is fantastic. Um, uh, you know, I mean, certainly I've accused the show of needing to end on a note where you're hooked in for next week. And, you know, as I say, to me, it just feels differently in this episode. The end, the episode, as I say, it ends with that raft launch and then they just tack on a little bit at the end to remind you that there's trouble out there. And it's just, uh, it is a, a, a wonderful, wonderful episode and one that makes me want to rush to do, uh, Exodus part two for next week. Uh, but first, uh, we are not done with this week's episode. Let's take a look at Lostpedia to see any little bits and pieces that I've mi- missed. Um, Lostpedia says, thusly, the validity of Rousseau's story is not revealed until the season five episodes, The Little Prince, This Place is Death, and Dead is Dead. Uh, certainly, Montrand losing his arm and, and uh, you know her so much of her uh, background. Uh, it'll be a little while until we see the Danielle flashbacks. Uh, Lostpedia also mentions, of course, that the explanation for how the Black Rock got into the middle of the jungle is not revealed until the season six episode, Ab Eterno. Uh, this episode marks the second and final Walt flashback. And as a side note, you know, the more I kind of digest and and uh, you know think about these episodes and and reflect as I do the podcast, I find that I'm c- becoming a bit more charitable to. Uh, to the notion of Walt and how, you know, yes, he's kind of largely a mystery that goes unanswered. But, you know, if you haven't seen the uh, the new Man in Charge, which was on the season six DVD, uh, it might also be available like on YouTube or uh, on less um, reputable means. But, I, I, you know, I feel like despite it being this little tacked on thing and, and you know, the new Man in Charge is not is not great. Uh, by any stretch of the imagination. It, it kind of let me down. Um, on the flip side, you know, it is on the DVD only, so it's not like it's, you know, official canon or whatever. Oh, I mean, it's official, but, you know, it's not... You you understand what I'm saying. But it made me feel better about Walt. Um, the fact that at the very, very, very end of this story, or at least the story's time on this island, um, you know, Hurley uh, goes to get... Uh, you know, goes to get Walt, goes to bring him back to the island because he's special, because there is some connection to the island. You know, what that is, uh, obviously the new man in charge doesn't uh, doesn't reflect on that. But um, yeah, it just makes me feel better about Walt. Anyhow, um, 
Lostpedia also says, after I get off on this tangent here, Lostpedia says that this episode also marks the first Shannon flashback. I assume they're meaning like a Shannon-only flashback, given that the Boone flashback, you know, it included her, but it was more about Boone. Uh, Lostpedia says she was the 14th and last of the original 14 main characters to receive a flashback from her point of view. So not too bad there. Last but not least, says Lostpedia, according to the season two DVD special feature Canine Castaway, the scene of Vincent swimming out to follow the raft was not planned in the script. It was thought of on the day of filming by director Jack Bender. And uh, I mean, assuming that's true, which I don't see why I wouldn't assume that. I mean, that's just an inspired, inspired decision. I mean, it connects you to Walt giving the dog over. Um, and, and I mean, it's just... It just goes for the heart. What can you say? It, it, <laughs> you know, it's it's a wonderful, wonderful scene. So good job, Jack Bender. Uh, with that, let's look ahead to next week's episode, episode one twenty four, Exodus Part Two, which is double length. So, I mean, this podcast right now is just clocking in at forty minutes. So hopefully, uh, hopefully, we'll have one that's 80, 90 minutes. Who knows how long it'll be uh, next week? But I certainly am. Uh, Certainly, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, a reminder, of course, that new episodes launch to the website, iTunes, and the Lost Podcasting Network on Fridays. Uh, so, and then it you know, makes its way out to you from there. Uh, you can send feedback to me in a number of ways. You can say hello to me on Twitter, where I am Looking Back Lost. You can send an email to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. That includes anybody who would like to uh, get information about reading an episode summary, as Danielle did this week. Uh, you can visit the webpage, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. And last but certainly not least, you can find the show on iTunes, where, where reviews are always appreciated. So with that, thank you as always for listening. I look forward to seeing everyone next week for 124 Exodus Part 2. Take care. Bye-bye. Submissiveness. Submissiveness. Regarding her apparent submissiveness, <laughs> <laughs> who invented that word submissiveness? <laughs>